David Grinspoon is an astrobiologist, an award-winning science communicator, and prize-winning author. He's a senior scientist at the Planetary Science Institute, an adjunct professor of astrophysical and planetary science at the University of Colorado. His research focuses on climate evolution on Earth-like planets and potential conditions for life elsewhere in the universe. He's involved with several interplanetary spacecraft missions for NASA, for the European Space Agency, and for the Japanese Space Agency. Grinspoon came to his interest in science at a young age. One of my um, earliest, most vivid memories is being allowed to stay up late um, when I was in the fourth grade and watch um, the first moon landing. And, you know, this grainy black and white television image of people hopping around on the moon <laughs> is still, you know, one of my earliest memories. And it was just... Um, it was wild. It was exciting. And so as a kid, I was enthralled with space and planetary exploration and science fiction. And um, it just seemed to me almost too good to be true that you could actually do that for a living. In 2013, David Grinspoon was appointed as the inaugural Bloomberg Chair of Astrobiology at the Library of Congress, where he studied the human impact on Earth systems and organized a public symposium on the longevity of human civilization. His technical papers have been published in Nature, Science, and numerous other journals, and he's given invited talks at conferences around the world. His popular writings have appeared in Slate, Scientific American, the Boston Globe, the Los Angeles Times, and the New York Times, among others. He's the author and editor of several books, including Lonely Planets, The Natural Philosophy of Alien Life, in 2006, Grinspoon received the Carl Sagan Medal for Public Communication of Planetary Science by the American Astronomical Society. He lectures widely and appears frequently as a science commentator on television, on radio, on podcasts. He's been to CTI twice now, most recently for our fall symposium in September 2016. And after the symposium, I had a chance to sit down with him for the podcast. We discussed a range of topics, including his forthcoming book, Earth in Human Hands, Shaping Our Planet's Future. It will be released this December. Thanks for joining the conversation. Earth in Human Hands, Shaping Our Planet's Future by David Greenspan. So tell me about, like, what are you trying to do in the book and, and what motivates you to write it? So this book comes out of a multi-year project where I wanted to look at the human race as a planetary phenomenon. I uh, have studied the evolution of our planet, all the different changes it's been through, and I'm framing the human influence on Earth, the human presence on Earth, in that wider context of a series of planetary changes that have been going on for billions of years. Mm -hmm. Clearly something is happening to the planet now, mm -hmm. something that that we're doing to it. But how does that fit into the larger story of Earth? Mm -hmm. That's what this book, Earth in Human Hands, is about. And as a planetologist, I've, I'm used to comparing Earth to other planets, mm -hmm. and I've studied the catastrophic changes that can happen to planets over their lives. And clearly something catastrophic is happening to Earth right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm just trying to uh, present that in a different way that comes out of this, this planetological background I have. And in turn, um, see if that suggests uh, anything different in the way we approach our, our future. Mm -hmm. So that, that was really the goal, was mm -hmm. to uh, 
almost reassess mm -hmm. the human presence on Earth from an inherently uh, planetological point of view. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you, you were the initial holder of the Bloomberg Chair in Astrobiology at the Library of Congress. Had you already formulated the book's thesis when you got there, or was, was this a new idea that you came up with while you were there, or how did that work? Well, th this was the project that I proposed oh. When I proposed, uh, I wrote a proposal um, seeking to uh, be chosen to be the chair of astrobiology, and the proposal, my proposal, was about um, the Anthropocene uh, as seen from an astrobiology point of view. And the Anthropocene is the the name that uh, scientists are giving to the proposed new geological stage of Earth history that we're in now, um, that is marked by human activity as a major geological force. So my proposal was to look at that from an astrobiology point of view, mm -hmm. sort of from an inherently interplanetary point of view. But a lot of the conclusions in the book that and a lot of the details uh, were not in my original proposal because they were the result of the year of uh, reading and research and study and conversation that I had on this topic. And so a lot of it uh, reflects what, what I learned and, and um, insights that I had um, that, that uh, that came about as a result of, of doing that work. Mm -hmm. Now, can you talk a bit about your own background in science? What what led you to want to you know start a career in, as a scientist and in particular in astrobiology? Well, you know, I, I grew up in the nineteen sixties, and uh, I was uh, captivated by space exploration. Uh, literally, it sounds cliche, um, at least <laughs> cliche amongst people in my field, but literally. One of my um, earliest, most vivid memories is being allowed to stay up late um, when I was in the fourth grade and watch um, the first moon landing. And, uh, you know, this grainy black and white television image of people hopping around on the moon <laughs> is still, you know, one of my earliest memories. And it was just, um, it was wild. It was exciting. And, and I got really into science fiction as a kid and, and um, was enthralled with this vision of the future of humans uh, being in space and... Um, all these things that were going to happen in 2001. You know, I still think that the future is supposed to be like it was in the movie 2001 and that uh, the, the, that movie was correct, but the future future is wrong. You know, the world went in the wrong direction, but the, but they had it right. Um, so, uh, so as a kid, I was enthralled with space and planetary exploration and science fiction. And um, it just seemed to me almost too good to be true that you could actually do that for a living. And I, I was influenced by... Um, exposure as a kid to Carl Sagan and, and, and some other um, scientists who were uh, doing what seemed to me to be the most exciting thing you could do, explore, exploring space and, um, and uh, figuring out what other worlds were like. So um, I'm not one of these people that had to um, go through a long period of searching for what I was going to do when I grew up. It almost seemed like I, it feels like I sort of always knew what I was going to do. Um, so that that was how I got into planetary science and astrobiology as a field didn't really exist when I first went into science but then um, in uh, really in the 1990s um, NASA started to get more serious about connecting planetary exploration with the search for life and the possibility of life elsewhere and formed the Astrobiology Institute and that was kind of what I was already doing but it wasn't called astrobiology then but quite naturally um, I fit into that new NASA universe where astrobiology is now a major thrust of, uh, of the reason why we do planetary exploration and, and, and how we frame our science is connecting uh, the story of Earth to 
um, the uh, possibility of life elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, was Carl Sagan a mentor of yours? Did you know him? Or? Yeah, I actually got to know him as a kid because he was he was a family friend. Um, and he, uh, he and my dad were, uh, were were buddies at Harvard when, when I was a kid. But then uh, later on, um, he, he definitely was a mentor, and I, I worked in his lab some summers at, at Cornell doing uh, experiments simulating the origin of life on other planets and stuff. And uh, and uh, he uh, actually uh, advised me on one one of the chapters in my uh, PhD thesis. So so we. Um, did develop a, a kind of a um, collaborative relationship uh, later when I actually became a professional scientist. Did he influence your own view on sort of the role of science in, in the public and in society and becoming a science communicator in a certain sense? Oh, definitely, because he, um, you know, uh, he was the great science communicator of our, of our time, really. And um, he just... For him, it was quite natural that, that it was sort of seamless being a scientist and being a communicator. And he was ahead of his time in that uh, he actually got a lot of flack from the scientific community because people didn't think you should be a what they called then a popularizer. And, you know, it seemed like, oh, you're diminishing the seriousness by communicating with the masses. You should just be communicating with other other scientists and using our own, you know, secret language and he really broke that barrier back when uh, you know before it was cool and uh, now of course there's a big effort in science to do exactly what he was doing and it's considered uh, a de rigueur for scientists to learn how to communicate and to communicate with the public about what we're doing but but back then you know he actually was given a hard time um, and, and got a lot of uh, pushback from the scientific community uh, for um, you know talking on television and writing popular books and all that stuff now that that every scientist wants to do as we should you know we if we're going to be doing this research um with public funds which is you know that's that's how we get get support of course we should um tell people what we've learned and communicate with a wider public it's hard now to even believe that that was a that was something that that was ever called into question but it but it certainly was yeah so I should say you've just been here today for our fall symposium at CTI for the second time. So it's great to have you back again. Is there anything today that sort of you're you're going to be taking with you and be thinking about uh, in the next few days? Well, some of the discussion um, after my talk, um, it was really interesting what people focused on. They wanted to talk about optimism and pessimism, and uh, um, and that's fascinating to me. Because uh, when you talk about the human future, uh, it seems like now there's this, in a lot of quarters, there's this, there's this sort of uh, reflexive pessimism um, that uh, people look at the damage we're doing around the planet and they think, oh, we're doomed, we're, we're horrible, the earth would be better off without us. Um, and I think that's actually dangerous and destructive. Um, and so I, 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 it's important to be realistic and, and own up to the damage we're doing, but it's also important to look at our potential for uh, for learning and reinvention, and, and our, our deep history sh- shows that, and not be so down on ourselves that we uh, are not capable of, uh, of, of making the changes we need to make to, you know, be a constructive element on this planet. So, uh, that, you know, that's one of the themes in my book is, is um, I think, rational grounds for optimism looking at the 10,000 year view, acknowledging that the next century is going to be particularly challenging. And so when I'm, uh, it's interesting to see what people pick up on. And when I was uh, talking today and then the discussion afterwards and people really wanted to to uh, um, hone in on that and ask about um, 
you know, I think it shocks some people to hear somebody who's knowledgeable about climate, um, which I think I am knowledgeable about what's happening on the earth, express optimism, you know, and, and yet to me, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very important to uh, talk about not just the future that we're trying to avoid, but the future that we're, we're seeking and, the, and what we want to build, what we want to be, what we want to become. So I, I do focus on that. And, uh, well, it's just interesting to me to see people uh, kind of notice that and want, want to talk about yeah. that. So the book, the book is Earth in Human Hands. Is there any any last thoughts you'd like to say about, you know, what are you hoping the reader, what, what will the reader take away from it? Well, um, I think that uh, people are uh, very rightfully uh, very concerned about, um, the, about climate change and... Uh, rightfully nervous and feeling some sense of of urgency about that but i would like people to um also put that put our current moment in a wider perspective of where we've been as a species and the fact that we've been in some tough spots before and we faced existential crises and in fact we've um used those to reinvent ourselves and become better at acting on on larger scales and in larger groups and on larger time scales, and that I think we we actually do have the capacity to um, to create uh, a future that will be positive, not just for ourselves but for the other um, species we share this planet with, and, and play a more constructive role on this planet. So I hope that people will read this book and and learn something, but also come away uh, energized with a, a new sense of uh, possibility for uh, where where we can take this planet in the future. Great. Thanks, David. Uh, thanks for being here again and for being on the podcast. Uh, your new book, uh, Earth in Human Hands, is coming out in December of this year, so we're all looking forward to uh, reading it. Thanks. Yeah, well, th th thank you very much. It's always fun talking to you. Thanks.